Self-care matters because you matter to Christ. What affects your soul affects your body, and you are only as helpful to others as you are healthy. Welcome to the Soul Care Matters Podcast. Welcome to the Soul Care Matters Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Berg, alongside the one and only Jeff Ballard. Jeff and I are here together today to bring you episode three in our series on anxiety. But we'll get to that in just a moment. First, I want to give Jeff some anxiety by asking him yet another would you rather question. Oh, boy. Okay. I think I know the answer to this, but I don't know. You've surprised me before. Okay, so would you rather... No, wait. Let me set this up. Assume you have a day off to yourself, not with your family or whatever. You have a day off where you get to spend it solo, which I know you and I would both love to have. Oh, yeah. Assume you have a day off to yourself. Would you rather spend the day outdoors if so doing what or spend the day indoors if so doing what also assuming you can the weather can be whatever you want it to be Ooh, okay the weather can be whatever i want i'm gonna do outdoors okay uh, i'm gonna go to eagle creek park mm. for a good chunk of that time probably three four hours and just leisurely hike the trails there it's gonna be like 70 to 75 mostly sunny that's how i would spend a day if i had it all to myself and could be indoors or outdoors so let me ask you what do you love about that man eagle creek park it just feels like this nature refuge you're still in indianapolis but you don't feel like you're in a city i just love the fresh air the quiet but then we still have some nature sounds so love just stopping and paying attention to the quieter sounds that are there all around from animals and for those of our listeners that are not in the indianapolis metro area eagle creek is the green space it's not in the exact middle but in the middle of indianapolis so think central park in new york it's indianapolis's upper middle class cousin to central park in new york yeah and i love the fact that it's on the reservoir too so you've got the water because i like fort bend too which is another park uh, very similar but eagle creek has the, the upper hand i think because it's on a really large reservoir it's just beautiful it is beautiful for me this is actually pretty tough because i could go either way since you picked outside i'm gonna pick inside i want to have the day to myself with it snowing outside and i am inside probably reading a book next to the fireplace i'm a big blanket on the couch kind of fella with a book so i have started drinking coffee again but i don't love it what i would probably get is hot apple cider with the caveat that it is no big deal and will harm no one if I fall asleep. <laughs> that's what makes the day wonderful. Sleeping by the fireplace, that's great. It's like pure rest. A lot of times when I do something like that, I should also mention this. I'm usually reading like a fiction book. So I am prone to mm. just always be reading something to develop myself or learn something new, which there's nothing yeah. wrong with. But there's something about spending some time reading like a fiction book where you can just enjoy a story and not feel like, oh, I need to retain all of this information. Yeah. I love that. It's pure rest for me. So I just had an idea. Here's my ideal day. Morning at Eagle Creek outside. Cold front comes in. Within a few hours, it's snowing. And I'm doing what you just described for the afternoon. This just shows that we are a good team because I would be the inverse of that. I would want to be 
home in the morning when it's really cold and it might still be cold but the sun comes up and i'm gonna go to eagle creek with my hammock and i have a insulated hammock i will take said book that i was reading by the fire and then read it in my hammock <laughs> yes yes all right all right we digress but now all i want to do is go home and read but i'm going to focus on this this is our third episode in our series on anxiety for our listeners try and remember in our first episode jeff and i set up kind of the reason why we need to talk about anxiety. We told stories and we gave statistics about during COVID, it was often referred to as the pandemic under the pandemic as anxiety levels just rose and have continued to rise. Even are we post COVID? I don't even know anymore. Even as we're we're post COVID, we're not post the effects of COVID in a lot of ways. Anxiety is still very high. Yeah. and, And we talked about how in our counseling experience as counselors and as pastors, it's probably the most common thing that people come in with now and common I mean in numbers not necessarily how they experience it in our second episode in the series the one and only the venerable Steve Cuss came and shared a philosophy or almost a theology of managing one's anxiety and he delivered for us as only Steve can in that majestic Aussie accent just a a really helpful kind of big picture pathway forward to what it looks like to, as followers of Jesus, manage anxiety. And today, Jeff and I are back to take that one step further and talk about things really practically and try to give you some tools in the tool belt. If you have listened to the show for any amount of time, you'll know that as I prepare for these episodes, I always think I want either in one episode or in a series of episodes to take a head, heart, hands approach. I want to give something that will educate. I want to give something that will help a person apply it to their own heart. And I want to give something practical that people can actually do on their own and don't necessarily need professional help with. So in this series, we actually started with heart. Secondly, we went to head and here we are with the hands. Jeff, any thoughts as we launch into these tools? No, I'm, just, I'm excited for you listeners. Ryan, one of the things I've appreciated is the way that you've learned a lot of these things over the last uh, year and a half. So listeners, get ready because Ryan's got some great tools that he's about to share with you. So now that I have that anxiety to carry into the rest right. of this episode, I will manage it so well, you will not even notice. All right. So if you'll remember from episode two, Steve laid out for us the big picture, the overarching idea that for a person to effectively manage anxiety, they do that in three ways. And these are somewhat progressive, although they do have some overlap. And the three ways are the pathway to managing anxiety. If you remember what Steve shared is notice anxiety, name anxiety, and diffuse anxiety. And I want to be clear, I think Steve said this in the episode that this is not a checklist. I repeat, this is not a checklist. This is a framework for you to figure out how to adapt to your life. Because one of the things that I see happen over and over again is you will give some of these tools to an anxious person and they will feel like, now I anxiously have to help myself no longer experience anxiety. And I have Mm -hmm. to do all three of these things perfectly. So this is not a checklist. Think of this as a framework. So first we have notice anxiety. Steve says that if a person can notice anxiety I think he says 10 to 15% more in their lives than they do right now. That is a massive improvement in how a person is going to be able to manage it. So 10 to 15%. We notice anxiety. And I want to just talk about this really briefly in two ways. The first way 
is that we can notice anxiety in our bodies. I've said it before on this podcast. I think we as a tribe, if you will, as evangelical followers of Jesus are not very good at listening to our bodies. I'll leave that for Jeff to tell you why that is. Except when we're hungry. I'm with you. Yeah, we're not very good at listening to our bodies. And one thing that I will tell you is that your body will know you're anxious long before your brain and the rest of you catches up to it. Your body will be able to tell you. So one of the ways you can notice anxiety is by listening to your body. Anxiety can, if you will, show up in different areas of your body, but there's four main places where research tells us, and also I can just tell you in experience personally and as a counselor, it tends to show up. And one is in a spinning mind, a spinning mind simply being obsessively thinking about something over and over again. This is mine. I will just own that on the front end. This is where it shows up for me first. And I think the unspoken message with the spinning mind is if I worry about something, something enough, surely I'll come up with a solution to it. Almost as if I can worry myself into the right way of moving out of this anxious space. So spinning mind, it's when you have obsessive thoughts, you might be rehearsing conversations you are going to have, or maybe you already had and you're replaying them in your mind, wishing you could do it differently. One way where you know it's really crossed a line is when you start having what we often refer to as anger fantasies. Ooh, if only this would happen in that conversation. Oh, Oh, if only this could happen or oh, if I had just said this, this has happened to me since I was a kid and someone would say something really mean to me on the playground. And six hours later, I'd come up with the best comeback and I would imagine myself saying that to their face and I would feel so good for about 10 seconds. And then I'm like, this has dominated my thoughts for the last six hours today. You have that perfect comeback and, you, and it's not there in the moment. Notice anxiety in, in our bodies. The first would be a spinning mind. The second would be tightness in the body. Body, literally experiencing tightness. Now, this can happen almost anywhere in your body, but it tends to ma mainly show up in your gut, in your chest, and in your jaw. I've heard people say that they've also experienced it like in their head, some sometimes in their feet and in their legs or whatever. But if you think in my gut, in my chest, and in my jaw, I think of those three, I hear jaw the most frequently. I think I hear chest and gut probably more, more than that. I, I don't hear jaw as much, but... You no, know, I have people come in and will say something along the lines of my jaw hurts, or I feel like I need to go to the dentist, or or things like that. You know, have you experienced any tightness in the jaw? And they'll say, oh, yeah, I always have that. You probably shouldn't. Let's talk about that. <laughs> and then we start moving down that and they start to realize, oh, my word, I clench my jaw when I'm anxious about something. Mm -hmm. I definitely find myself doing it. So tightness in the body, almost feeling like um, something is being constricted in your jaw, in your yep. chest, in your gut. Another area where you can experience it in your body is in the gut in other ways. Just to be above board, I'm just going to say, gastrointestinally you can experience anxiety and then the final place that you typically see anxiety manifest in a body is in like a racing heart really like having palpitations i hear about this one a lot too especially when people are talking about how anxious it makes them on the roads again i use this in this example all the time but imagine you almost have an accident because someone pulls out in front of you and the first thing that's happening is your heart is beating a mile a minute and you and you're white knuckling the steering wheel that's an evidence of acute and real anxiety, but it is manifesting the same way as in a racing heart. The four places where you can really start to notice anxiety earlier in your body, spinning mind, uh, tightness in the body, gastrointestinal in your gut, and then a racing heart. I think it's important to camp on what we're saying here. It's very possible. In fact, often is the case that people are experiencing anxiety with
without recognizing it. The first part of this framework is actually learning how to notice it when it starts or early on in the process. I can't tell you the number of people who have said to me over the years that they just assumed I don't think this is TMI, that they struggled with irritable bowel syndrome. And they would go to the doctor's office and say, you don't really meet the criteria for this or whatever. And then when they started recognizing it as a symptom of anxiety, they start managing anxiety. And then the quote unquote, irritable bowel syndrome goes away. Yeah, I'm not saying that's true for everyone. But I'm saying I think we're much quicker to assume that what's happening in our bodies is because of something else and not anxiety. And so thinking about this is the first part of noticing we're noticing our anxiety think about it in your bodies so the whole idea of being embodied and being a little more in touch with what our bodies are telling us is really important but stay tuned we will have a whole episode on embodiment in a different series that will apply to what we're talking about today too so i don't spend too much time on embodiment but stay tuned and podcast favorite marla rogup will be joining us for that one. marls barkley will be here you will definitely want to stay tuned because she can talk about it far better than i can continue Continuing on and noticing anxiety, the second thing I want to talk about, and I'll keep this one brief because it's hard to understand in an audio podcast fully, but I want to mention it would be noticing anxiety in what we call the four spaces. So the four spaces are four places where anxiety resides and then tends to be contagious. First space that resides is inside of you. And again, you can recognize anxiety from in your body, but you can also recognize I'm anxious, for example, about this interaction with this person that I have coming up and I feel anxious about how that's going to go, what I'm going to experience in that interaction. That's first space inside of you. Second space anxiety can be between you and another person. Let's say you have unresolved conflict or you're fighting with someone and anytime you see them, you're going to feel the tension between the two of you. That's anxiety in the second space that's residing between the two of you. Third space anxiety is the anxiety that resides within someone else, within another person. Let's just face it. We can all recognize anxiety when it's manifesting in someone else right? We can almost always tell that someone else is experiencing it. What's really interesting about third space anxiety is it's the one that we have the least amount of control over, but the one that gets the most of our time and effort. We try so hard to manage or control someone else's anxiety so that it doesn't spill into us, that in reality, it absolutely spills into us. First, second, and third space, whereas fourth space would be the anxiety in a group. Now, this one is a little harder to explain, so I always like to explain this one with an illustration that I think think is more helpful. So fourth space anxiety is anxiety that's in the group when you enter and you already see that the group is anxious for some reason, or you're bringing anxiety into the group and then it spreads to the rest of the group. So it could happen from either way. So I've seen this happen countless times, I'm sad to say, but imagine you're in a small group setting in a church and someone is coming in and sharing, for example, I'll be somewhat extreme here. They just got diagnosed with cancer. They're sitting around in a circle and this person has finally gotten up the nerve to share personally this life-altering thing that has happened in their lives. And the rest of the group is silent for a moment to try to figure out how best to respond in that particular setting. At that moment, the door to the room bursts open and the person who was running late comes in and says, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. Sorry, don't mind me. So sorry to be late. Continue as you were. Do whatever you want. In that particular moment, that is both fourth space anxiety 
anxiety in the group, not knowing how to respond to the person who just shared openly. But it's also fourth space anxiety with somebody bringing their anxiety about being late into the group setting and actually making it even more awkward, anxious and uncomfortable. Those are your four spaces. First space is in ourselves. Notice anxiety in yourself. Second, between you and another person. Third, in another person. And fourth, the anxiety in a group. Keeping in mind that anxiety, chronic anxiety, as we've been talking about in this series, is extremely contagious. Both give and get this anxiety from other people. So this is a this is one of the tools that you teach other people. Tell us how understanding those four spaces can help us practically. How can I use that to manage my anxiety? Yeah. So keep in mind that this falls under the notice category of tools. So if I can notice, for example, anxiety in a group, I can step into the group or I can operate from a, a pretty calm and aware place myself. That's what's happening. And it's going to change how I interact in that particular situation. Use the illustration I just gave of the person with the cancer diagnosis. What's happening in the moment that the late person arrives is focus and attention has been removed from the person who just shared this really vulnerable thing to the person who brought their anxiety in and actually sucked all the energy and attention out of the room. What I could do as someone who's aware of that happening in force space anxiety is I can manage my anxiety to understand that it is not my responsibility to fix this situation, but then I might possibly have the wherewithal to refocus attention on the person who actually needs it. That's one way of potentially using one of yeah. those spaces. That's good. One of the ways I've found this just helpful for me is most of us tend to think of anxiety just in that first space yeah. category. We think about anxiety in us and that's Obviously, that's legitimate, but we don't often think about the relational dynamics and how anxiety spreads between people. And that's one of the insights I think that family systems theory or systems theory generally has been helpful with. And what that's done is that's helped me to go even go to the Bible to be able to see those kinds of dynamics and anxiety there. There's all kinds of situations where you could see that's happening in some of the narratives of scripture and whatnot. And it just helps us to get out of that individualistic mindset that we like 21st century Westerners can tend to have, where we only think about anxiety within us and don't see it in relationship. I think that's really spot on and the way that this tool operates for us as an individual is helping us really be more curious and less I know I say this all the time and less judgmental about what's happening around us mm -hmm. let's imagine you're in a staff meeting at your job or something like that and somebody is getting really big in that meeting about how they feel towards a particular topic that has come up for discussion. Somebody who's getting really big and forceful and loud is pretty anxious in that moment about whatever is happening. You may not know why, like specifically why that person is anxious, but you can recognize that their response is coming from an anxious space. And honestly, you have more grace for a person in that moment instead of passing judgment on like this jerk just wants to have the spotlight on them the whole time. That's sometimes true. But in my experience, the most anxious person in the room requires the most attention because they can't carry their own anxiety and therefore trying to pass it off to other people. And so recognizing that would be third space anxiety, recognizing third space anxiety, oh, that person's carrying anxiety right now, changes your posture towards them and towards what's happening in the room. So that's just noticing. We haven't even gotten to name and diffuse yet. That's simply noticing. So that's huge. But if we move into naming our anxiety, now this is probably where we could spend the most time. So I'm going to go even quicker through this 
this. And if you want a deeper dive into some of this, we'll put some resources in the show notes for this particular episode or even better. Find a managing anxiety cohort near you. For our Indianapolis listeners, I know that they will soon be offered through Luma Counseling. This episode brought to you by Luma Counseling. Timeless truth for today's challenges. Two tools for naming our anxiety. And as you've heard me say a million times on this episode, if you name it, you can tame it. Two tools. One would be something we refer to as the big five. The big five are simply five false core beliefs that we carry that tend to lend themselves to our anxiety. So if you'll think about core beliefs. These are things that I need in order to be okay, or things at least that I believe I need in order to be okay. So the big five are perfectionism, control, always having the answer, being there for others, and approval. So I'll say those again. Perfectionism, control, always having the answer, being there for others, and approval. At any given moment, these can be driving forces in our lives. In order to be okay, I have to have approval from this person. In order to be okay, I have to be in control of the situation. In order to be okay, I have to be able to answer whatever questions might arise. Any of these can show up. And again, remember, these are beliefs that are false that we need to be okay. For me personally, there's two here that show up all the time in my life, Jeff. One being being there for others. As a counselor, I constantly feel like I got to be helpful to have any value. If you've listened to our Childhood Vows episodes from last season, you'll know where that comes from. I got to be helpful in order to have value. And the other one would be approval. Nobody likes to know that somebody doesn't like them. Feeling the need, and again, I'm emphasizing the word need because we think things are needs that aren't always needs. Recognizing that, oh no, it can't. It, I can't possibly have somebody who doesn't like me. There's tons of people who don't like me. And guess what? The world keeps on spinning. Recognizing these false core needs and being able to name in really anxious moments. Ooh, that feels like a, an overly powerful desire for approval right now. Let me take that to Jesus. Let me just stop and reflect on that. Where's that coming from? Why am I feeling that so strongly, so acutely right now at this moment? Or feeling like I am the only person in the world that can possibly help this person who has mentioned some kind of a need. That is like a nasty Superman complex that I can carry around sometimes. Recognizing that and being able to name it really takes a lot of the teeth out of it. Because then, for example, and I'm getting ahead a little bit into diffuse, but then I can remember, okay, what is really true in this moment? Is what God says about me true in his word? Or is what I think or assume this person is thinking about me the more true thing? And it's really helpful in being able to manage anxiety in the moment. Super helpful because oftentimes our attempts to address anxiety suffer from not enough specifics. Yeah. We can just be really general and vague. I'm feeling anxious. I just need, need to trust God more, which is true at one level. But the more you can get specific about why you're anxious, that allows us to then apply specific truth that will help us to move forward and move through it. I remember as a kid being at a youth retreat once where the statement was made that if we deal specifically with God, God will deal specifically with us. And it was said in the context of don't just say things like, Lord, help me today. It's more like, Lord, today I have this going on and here's how I'm already feeling about it. Would you, won't you please help me to see you and mm -hmm. instead of what I fear is going to happen. And I think this is basically going the same direction to specifically say to God, man, I am prone to needing approval from people in order to feel okay. 
Yeah. Lord, help me to manage that today with the reality that you call me a beloved child and that you chose to take me from far off and draw me near, pulling all this stuff out of Ephesians or different yeah. passages where you can recognize what God really thinks. Deal specifically, I think that's really helpful. So one other quick tool under naming anxiety, and I'm not going to go through all of these because there is a lengthy list of what are known as universal sources of anxiety. So Jeff mentioned getting specific. This is taking it even another level of specificity and being able to choose from this list. About half of them are internal sources of anxiety. About half of them are external sources of anxiety and recognizing this is what's happening in the moment and why I'm feeling so anxious. Easy example. One of them on the list is something known as imposter syndrome. I don't know a soul on this planet who has not in some way, shape or form experienced imposter syndrome. The idea behind that being a voice in your mind in the back of your head or maybe just a nagging fear that at some point somebody's going to come along and expose the fact that you aren't as good at something as you claim to be or that you're not as qualified for something or that you're not really very good at something that you actually think you're pretty good at. Imposter syndrome is this idea that at some point I'm going to be exposed for not being perfect or not being the best or not be fill in the blank. But imposter syndrome, major source of anxiety, one of probably the most common sources of anxiety. That's an internal source. An external source of anxiety might be something like, this actually bridges the gap, but it's literally called making a mistake in public. It's anxiety based on whatever the ramifications are of the mistake that you made in public, but also what are people thinking about me now that I made this mistake in public? That's a real tangible way of recognizing I'm feeling anxious right now. Where is this coming from? I'm feeling it in my body. I'm recognizing it in the first space. What's happening? Oh, I made a mistake. And so now I'm afraid that and then you fill in that blank with something specific, and it'll usually tie back to one of the big five, in which case you can then take that to the Lord. Very frequently, they will overlap, or sometimes I, I say that they stack. You can stack That's one good. on top of the other. And keep in mind that the universal sources of anxiety, if you will, are also stack. You can have more than one at a time. Another really common one is something known as a double bind. A double bind simply being, I've got two objectives here. If I move towards one to accomplish it, I'm going to lose out on the other. But if I move towards the other one, I lose out on the other objective over here. And so it's a lose or a double bind situation. I've known people that have had triple and quadruple binds even because they've had so many different factors. Being in the middle of that, trying to figure out and looking around frantically, like, how do I manage all of these situations without anything bad happening? Major source of anxiety. But what's really helpful, even in a situation like that, is realizing what can I actually control here and what is actually the Lord's to control and being able to trust God enough to be good at his job. And I don't have to control all of those things. And again, control is one of the big five. They really overlap. So we've noticed anxiety in our bodies and in the four spaces. And then we've started to name anxiety by understanding the big five false core beliefs that drive a lot of our anxiety and universal sources that make it even more specific. I know that I am prone to imposter syndrome, which ties directly into my desire for other people's approval. Mm -hmm. And knowing that helps me know how to approach the Lord to diffuse moments of anxiety. So that takes us to our third and final stop on this tour of anxiety tools, diffuse anxiety. So we've noticed it, we've named it, now we're diffusing it. And I'm going to give you two pretty simple tools with this one. The first one is something known as the life-giving list. Steve, I believe, mentioned this in his podcast too, but 
I mentioned at the top of the episode that we as a tribe are not very good at listening to our bodies as evangelical followers of Jesus. Something else we're not very good at is celebrating the good things in life because we just hop from terrible thing to terrible thing because, I don't know, it's some weird form of Protestant penance. We need to celebrate the ways in which we can bump into the goodness of God all the time without even really trying. And I'll a way to do this is something known as a life-giving list. Now, there is a document that you can use to list all of these things. You need expensive things and cheap things, things to do solo and things to do in a group. You need things you can do locally or where you have to travel for. And there's all of these things, things that take a couple of seconds to think things that take a couple of weeks. There's all of these things you put on this life-giving list and then you don't just leave it on the list. You actually engage with it regularly. And this is what kills me. I go through this with people. I said, you engage with your life-giving list? I wrote it down. I'm like, that's not the same. That helps nothing. And the life-giving list, and this is probably the key point to take away from this particular tool. A life-giving list is meant to be engaged with both proactively and reactively. I think we're actually pretty good at using a life-giving list reactively when we're, and probably in a little bit of an unhealthy way, when something bad happens and we say, I really enjoy watching movies. So I just sit in front of the TV for 10 hours one day. I don't deal with my problems and I watch movies. That's a reactive use of the life-giving list in an unhealthy way. Proactively, if you had watched a movie here or there, or let's say something else on your life giving us, here's one of mine, literally being outside when it's not hot, let me make that clear. Being outside when it's not hot and going for a walk. That is such a life-giving thing for me. Just walk around my neighborhood. Look at what's happening. Talk to the people that I run into or don't and have my earbuds in and listen to an audio book. And I love that. And I feel so energized by that. Doing that proactively makes anxious situations I have to deal with the next day a little bit more bearable. And I'm more aware of my tendency to be anxious over whether or not somebody approves of me. Again, here we go overlapping again. Life-giving list is meant to be used proactively and reactively. The simple way to do it is make a list of about, I don't know, 15 to 20, maybe 30 things that you find help you understand that God is just kind to you. And then every single day, try to get like eight to 10 touches on that list. What that means practically is one of the things on mine is going on a cruise. I can't do that eight to 10 times a day. I can't do that eight to 10 times a decade. I've got to think that through and I sprinkle those in. But one thing that I can do is, for example, pet my dog. I love one of my dogs. The other one is okay, but I really love one of my dogs. And when he hops up in my lap and I just get to hug him and pet him and he's just so content, there's something I love about that. And that's yeah. And it takes five seconds. So you get less life out of petting the other dog. Yes, because he's naughty and I always have to chase him when he tries to run away. I don't like that as much. But eight to ten touches a day proactively or reactively is a really good way to start to diffuse anxiety. So that's a practical one. Let me take it one step further and give you one final tool. If we've noticed anxiety, we've named what's happening under the surface that's making us anxious, and we're starting to diffuse it by engaging with our life-giving list, then we take it one step further to diffuse it. And we use something that I like to call a detangling thoughts chart. What this is not is uh, read the Bible more and think about your life less. There's truth to that being helpful, but that can also be used as a club to just make people do whatever. Detangling thoughts 
thoughts chart really helps you flesh out what's going on in your mind. And again, this is a document that you can use, but listeners at home, you could write this down. If you're driving right now, maybe don't do that. Come back and listen to this part again. And you can write it down on a piece of paper. There's five columns that you write. And one is, what do I know about this situation? What do I know is true? What is really happening right now? And then the second column is, what do I not know? What is unknown about this situation? The third one, and this is often where the rubber really starts to meet the road. What assumptions am I making about this situation? What am I assuming is true or not true about this situation? The fourth column is what feelings are or emotions are evoked by this situation? What's coming up inside of me as a result of what I'm experiencing here? And then the last one is how do I experience this in my body? What do I know is true? What do I not know? What assumptions am I making? What feelings or emotions are being evoked and how am I feeling this in my body? And then as you fill that chart out, you'll start to recognize the difference in what you're saying than what the Bible says. The difference in what you're saying and then in the difference that what God says. And then you'll start to recognize the gap from what you're saying and believing and what God and the Bible state. And then being, and it becomes, I don't want to say like easy, but it, it does become pretty clear what direction you need to move it. Detangling your thoughts, because what we tend to do when we're feeling anxious is we're like, oh my word, I'm thinking this and I'm feeling this and I'm afraid of this and I think this will happen. And it feels like this big, chaotic, uncontrollable mess in our heads. And we either just pretend that it's not there and move about our lives, or we get so overwhelmed that we just check out in one way or another. And so this is a really helpful and effective tool at helping a person detangle their thoughts enough to know what is actually happening inside of me. And it's an excellent way to begin to diffuse the anxiety that you've just noticed and given a name to. Excellent. Excellent. Ryan, thank you so much for sharing these practical tools. I find this helpful to be reminded of these things. Listeners, I hope I hope you learned some things and heard some things that you could take and even begin to use in your daily life now. This is really a crash course on this. The best way to work out this stuff and to learn how to do this is in community. So I would strongly encourage you find a small group, a friend, your spouse, somebody that you can talk through this with and they can offer you insights into ways in which they maybe have observed you experience anxiety and how you've tried to manage it in the past and then ways in which they can help you apply these things to your lives. And like I said, feel free to engage with some of our are managing anxiety groups here in the Indianapolis area or jump on to Capable Life. CapableLife.me is Steve Cuss's organization where you can do a lot of this work in online communities that is really helpful as well. I really hope that for our listeners that this is a really practical way to take some of these tools and begin to apply these to their lives. If you want to continue this conversation, we would love to connect with you on social media. So check out at College Park Soul Care on Facebook and Instagram comment on our post to start a conversation or direct message us and we'd be happy to try to engage with you with some of this stuff but that's what we have for you now and we'll see you next time on the soul care matters podcast thanks again for listening to the soul care matters podcast join the conversation with us on instagram by following us at college park soul care or email us at info at college We'll be back with more helpful conversations in the next episode of the Soul Care Matters podcast.